We're uh, in the middle of a series uh, called That's a Good Question, and uh, just a bit of a heads up, uh, there'll be a few uh, mature kind of concepts today in, uh, in what I'm going to be talking about. Uh, that's just a, a bit of a heads up if you've got kids uh, in, uh, in church today. It's, it's a messy, busted world, isn't it? And um, we could use another word, but we just use the word stuff. Stuff happens. Messy stuff. Uh, things go wrong. People get hurt. People hurt each other, um, stuff just gets out of hand. And the question we're actually looking at today is, will I ever get over it? That's the question that we're looking at today. So let me start from a, a little bit more of a shallow kind of end. Did anyone see this photo this week? A hotel valet has escaped unheard after driving a customer's Porsche into and underneath the back of another car in a Sydney CBD hotel driveway. Uh, people heard the roaring of engines, thought it was a movie set, but it wasn't. This poor valet, valet guy just kind of scooped up this Subaru XV and uh, he gets, his story gets told about across the world. Will he ever get over it? <laughs> now you might say, well, the damage can be fixed, right? There's insurance for these cars. The, uh, the, uh, the hotel obviously would have had insurance, but you push down a little bit deeper and you go, oh, well, there's an embarrassment for this dude, like I was the guy that did the Porsche thing under the Subaru XV, uh, and then you go, well, he's, you know, no one knows his name, they didn't publicise publicise his name, um, you know, it, it could be worse than that, well, it actually could be like this, um, this is another discovery, this, uh, that was announced this week uh, on the 30th of May on the ABC uh, website, uh, Pompeii discovery reveals man who was pinned by fridge-sized stone while uh, fleeing Vesuvius, the, uh, the volcano. Um, the man may have escaped the initial violence of Vesuvius in the ancient city of Pompeii, only to be crushed by a block of stone hurtling through a lethal vo volcanic cloud. <laughs> they actually think that this guy had some kind of infection, which meant that he couldn't run as fast as he could have um, run uh, with his legs. He had, had a, uh, an infection in his leg, and uh, he just got taken out by that fridge-sized bit of rock. Um, yeah, and they can't find his head. <laughs> and uh, you could ask uh, the question, will he ever get over it? And the answer is no. No, he's not going to get over that. That's, it's over. It actually is over at that point. He didn't <coughs> escape. And some of you, maybe with uh, some of the life experiences that you've had, maybe even at times have just thought, I wish I was that guy. I wish that a rock or a stone the size of a fridge would just take me out. Put an end to the misery. You know, sometimes a life lived with hurt uh, seems to be a lot more painful than dying. At least he didn't have to live through it, right? He just didn't. He, uh, he got taken out and it was all over. He's gone, it's done. But there's many brutal stories, aren't there? There's many uh, difficult things in the world. There's lots of things in the world that insurance doesn't cover. There's lots of things that people have to carry the whole way through their lives. You know, you may have had someone die near you, but you have to carry the pain of that thing for the rest of your life. Maybe you've been sexually assaulted. You know, in 2017, the ABS reported that 18% of women and 4.7% of men 18 years or older have experienced sexual violence. It's something you've got to live with. You know, actions that someone else has taken against you that has a lasting effect. Maybe you're someone who has had someone just brutally use words to destroy you. And maybe it's over a period of time. Maybe they assassinated your character. Maybe they uh, posted some stuff of you online. I mean, there's a whole thing now about revenge porn. Yeah, let's just... I mean, don't ever get your photo taken naked. That's the bottom line. I think that's a safe way to start. Um, but, you know, it's a thing, right? Like, you just... You, people get their photos of them naked, shared with people and posted on sites. And Maybe you were abused as a child. Maybe you were beaten... Maybe someone cheated on you. They did something that forever marked you. 
What do we do then? I mean, I'm not even getting into the whole side of it, which is like, what about the stuff that we do to ourselves and the struggle that we have with getting over it? Like, how do we just, let's just narrow it a little bit and just say, how do we get over stuff that other people have done to us? And I want to just come back to the question and think about the question a little bit more. What are we even asking when we ask this question? Well, you know, the first thing that I think we're asking is this, is we're asking a very personal question. This is not some, you know, one step removed philosophical inquiry, is it? This is a, this is a lived experience. You know, it's not like someone could come up with a good answer to your question and it would all be over. True? It, just do, it doesn't work like that. Like the thing that you've actually gone through is much more difficult than that. Now, it could be physical pain or the pain of being hurt by life or by people or by circumstances. But it's a personal kind of thing. That's where it's at. And I should note, just at this point, we are going to be doing a Q&A at the end of this, uh, at the end of this talk. Okay, so the number's on the screen there. It's, it's pr probably another helpful disclaimer is for me just to say this, this is just a big topic and I trust that you can feel that a bit here at the moment. It's a big topic and um, are we going to be able to get all the questions answered that you have in your head? We're not, okay? But you, uh, you take the opportunity to shoot a question off at the end and we'll see what we can do to, to start to help you with that. So the question, will I ever get over it? It's, it's a personal question and the next part as, uh, to think about this question is it's, it's an oozing sore, isn't it? Like it's not, the person that asks this is not saying, yeah, I squared it away, you know, like 20 years ago I squared it away, it's all good, everything's sorted. It's, it's, it's not a healed wound, it's, a, it's an oozing sore, it's a painful sore, it's, it's someone's reaching out to just say, how do I live in the midst of this difficulty? It's still very much in the present. You know, it may have been caused two years ago, two months ago, two weeks ago, 20 years ago, 30 or 40 years ago, but it's still there and it's very present. The last part I just want to look at to do with this question is the last bit. Will I ever get over it? And this, I think, is where this question gets a bit messy and this is where the comments of other people can really come in and muddy the water for us you know this is where there can be a clash between what other people say and the pressure that other people put on us and the inner experience that's actually going on for us you need to get over it and people say that when are you going to get over that so you know someone dies or someone close so you go through some really difficult, difficult times and people kind of just go, six months is enough time. You know, you're supposed to go back to normal now. You know, and it's, really? Is, it, is that how it works? Like you're meant to just go back to normal? Like it's some kind of invisible, kind of allotted, kind of unspecified amount of time and that's enough? And it's meant to be okay? You know, I know a guy who's, Dad died when he was young. Is, is he meant to get over that? I know another guy who got sexually abused when he was a kid. Is he meant to get over it? Like, what's, how long? How long for him? <laughs> you know, part of the problem with statements like uh, getting over it is, is they kind of imply that at some point it shouldn't matter to you anymore. Like, at what point is that not going to matter to you anymore? You know, the, the friend of mine who's been sexually abused, at what point do you think it's appropriate for it not to matter anymore that he was sexually abused as a kid? Are you with me? It's like it's a, it's, a, it's, a weird, it's a weird and a messy kind of question. You know, someone was to stand up and say, I got abused as a kid by a relative and it doesn't matter anymore. It's nothing, I've forgotten it. You'd sit there, wouldn't you? And you'd just go, oh, there's something that's not right about that. Because <laughs> even, even when someone has walked through something and they're in a better place at the end of it, like you never ever want to say something like that doesn't matter. Like we have to be happy and smiley. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You just have to be happy and smiley 
and just pretend that it's all good. It's like someone sprinkled some magic pixie dust and all of a sudden you've forgotten about it and everything's sweet. It's like, where's the miracle found where that will just get me free from this so it doesn't matter to me anymore? You know what I reckon this question really is? I reckon it's this one. How can you come to terms with things that are long and hard and don't go away? That's really the question. You know, and some of you, you might sit there and you've said to yourself, I'll never get over it. I'll never get over it. And you know this, I want to say to you this morning that if you've ever thought that, that can actually be strangely liberating. <laughs> Do you know why? The reason why it can be strangely liberating is because it validates the intensity of what actually happened to you. Getting over it doesn't. Getting over it is like you just need to forget about it. You need to forget about this thing that has actually happened to you. But saying I'll never get over it in a strange kind of way actually honours the intensity of what happened to you, doesn't it? Because part of the problem is if you get on this drive where you just go, I just have to get over it, that the drive to be curiously unmarked by what happened to you will stop you probably from actually dealing with what did happen to you. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It's like, you just, I've just got to get over it. I've got to get past it. And there's a sense in which one of your main strategies is to, forgive, to forget about it and to imagine that it didn't happen. Saying, I'll never get over it, says, I have an open sore and it matters. And I just want to say to you, if I don't know all of your stories, but in a group this size, there's going to be brutal stories. And I just want to say to you that the brutal things that have happened to you do matter. They do matter. And even after you walk through them, they still matter. So if you've said to yourself, I'll never get over it, it was so wrong, it probably was. <laughs> and in the sense of getting over it so that you don't think about it, or it doesn't matter anymore to you. It wouldn't be right if that happened. It was too wrong. It was too confusing. It was too overwhelming and it hurt too much. And I want to say to you this morning that your sufferings count. Your struggles count. So it brings us to the question, and it's a very, very important question. How do I transform the hurt Isn't that a good question? How do I transfer it? Because it will kill me. It will destroy me. I've uh, got a lot of help in this message from an article by, uh, by David Powlison, which I'll um, post on the city for you to read. But this is the thing, isn't it? Because the hurt that other people do to you can actually destroy you. And it can actually twist you to the point where you, and this is one of the comments that David Powlison makes, where you complete the destruction of what people did to you and you've seen it right like bitterness does that it's kind of like and this is this is kind of the this is the big question right because brutal things happen to people and the next question is what am I going to do I stand at a fork in the road what am I going to do because if I go down the road where I get bitter and twisted I'm going to complete the destruction that someone else started and it's really, really difficult to not complete the destruction that someone else started. And you think that you're destroying everyone else, but you're destroying them and you. It, you know what I'm talking about? Because what is required of someone who's thinking about how do I transform, trans, how do I transform the herd? is how do I grapple with the poison and the darkness that actually happened to me in such a way that it doesn't necessarily stay with me? Now, I, I'm, I'm saying today that transforming hurt and working through difficult, brutal things, you may not ever get over it in the sense that it doesn't matter anymore, but you can get to a point where it's not as poisonous and as dark. And I might even suggest to you that you could get to a point where it's not poisonous and not dark. Doesn't have to be unhealed sores. 
You see, it's not to, to transform the hurt is not saying that it didn't matter. It's actually grappling with the evil and the trouble that happened to you and wrestling with it and wrestling with justice and wrestling with the need for mercy, you know? Not like, how do you work through the trouble of it so that you become, maybe even George Meyer said this, better and not bitter? Now, you, you know this, right? Because you've seen public figures who have actually had to grapple with this too. Every single person that goes through bitter, sorry, brutal realities of hurt and pain has to grapple with what am I going to do? How am I going to handle this? Am I going to get bitter and twisted and complete the destruction that someone else started? Or is it going to be different? You know, you've seen it, right? You could be the victim of hate from someone else and you could turn into a hater. You've seen that, haven't you? You've seen that in people. And it, and it becomes this weird reality that, I mean, you've heard it before, the hurt people hurt people. You become a hurter. And, and it just gets all really, really messy. You know, you, a tragic accident happens to you or to someone that you know and then you just become a slave to fearing everything and you get obsessive about it. Listen to David Powlison. He says, Deep hurt so easily gets infected by mistrust or fear or rage or callousness or avoidance or addiction or... Hurt even gets infected by just trying to keep yourself busy and distracted. It turns inward, it turns self-destructive. But hurt and loss can become transmuted into a deeper good. Still fear, still sorrowing, but now clean. Not only clean, but hopeful. Not only hopeful, but fruitful. Not only fruitful, but wise. Not only wise, but even loving. Now you see many snapshots of this, right? In our world, you actually see people who go through intense trauma and pain and brutal, brutal sort of stuff in their life. But somehow in the middle of it, they actually don't get bitter and twisted. And it's kind of like, how does, how does that happen? <laughs> Let me give you a classic one. Everyone here knows Daniel Morecambe, I would imagine. I mean, it's a, it's a Daniel Morecambe Foundation kind of came out of Bruce and Denise Morecambe, after their son Daniel was abducted and murdered in December 2003 while waiting to catch a bus on the sunny coast. What do they do? They go around schools helping kids to be safe. When I was reading a Sunshine Coast Daily this morning about Brett Peter Cowan who was convicted and uh, sentenced for Daniel Morecambe's murder and the dude said he was a Christian he was going to a Pentecostal church on the Sunshine Coast it's just a messy thing it's a really messy thing but what's happened in the middle of this really messy brutal thing is something good has happened can you see that that's is everyone with me like that's a good thing it's a good thing well I don't know what their personal story is and how they're kind of tracking with it but it's a good thing isn't it that mum and dad didn't actually just go out and just start hating on everyone because of what happened to their son but they actually want to help people isn't that good Alexander Solzhen Hitson uh, is another e example he, he writes some um, really interesting stuff in the Gulag Archipelago and that's a book that uh, came out of his time in Stalin's gulags. Let me tell you about the gulags. At its height, the gulag consisted of many hundreds of camps with the average camp holding 2,000 to 10,000 prisoners. Many of these camps were corrective labour colonies in which prisoners fell timber, laboured on general construction projects or worked in mines. So it's political prisoners. If it was anyone they wanted to send there, they'd just send them there. And they really flourished uh, at a, a, around about the midpoint of the, uh, the 20th century there. Uh, most prisoners laboured under the threat of starvation or execution if they refused. Um, it is estimated that the combination of very long working hours, harsh climates, 
uh, and other working conditions, inadequate food and summary executions killed off at least 10% of the Gulag's total prisoner population each year. You know, scholarly estimates of the total number of deaths in the Gulag in the period from 1918 to 1956 range from 15 to 30 million. So it was a brutal place to be in. 10% of people were dying just as a result of the treatment that they actually got there. And Alexander Solzhenitsyn was right there in the middle of it. He was one of the prisoners. And look at what Alexander Solzhenitsyn writes. And what I want you to hear in this is Solzhenitsyn's grappling with the reality of what it means to, uh, to deal with brutal evil that's actually happening to you. If only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. Listen to him. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. Confronted by the pit into which we are about to toss those who have done us harm, we halt, stricken dumb. It is, after all, only because of the way things have worked out that they were the executioners and we weren't. For good to, from good to evil is one quaver, says the proverb, and correspondingly from evil to good. You see, what we're actually talking about with handling brutal difficult realities in our lives is we're not talking about something where someone can just come out with a little strategy and everything's going to be okay this actually isn't the kind of thing that you can go along to a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a counselor or a friend and they're just going to have a five-point plan for you to work this thing out there aren't five-point plans for this you know if you've ever sat in a situation where something brutal has happened to someone else and you've had that question in your mind, like, I just don't know what to say to make it better, it's probably because there's nothing you can say to make it better. Like, there's a reckoning with what actually goes on inside of you in the midst of those kind of situations that doesn't come down to strategies and it's just not going to go away quickly. You see, as Solzhen Hitson, I trust that as you read that, you just go, whoa, that is a robust way of actually handling this thing. Now, how long did it take him to get there? I don't know. I don't know. But he seems a lot more like someone made in the image of God than someone who just blows out on hate and revenge and just wanting to murder people, doesn't he? It's kind of like he's... And, and part of the reason why is because you can see in Souls and Hits in there is he's just... He's pulling himself back from the edge of the precipice of him being God and his view and his judgments on the world being correct and right and sovereign he's saying hang on i've actually got a problem too in the middle of this now did he cause the brutal punishment that actually happened to him no he didn't and i'm not saying that to anyone here necessarily But was there another thing kind of going on at the same time as all of that's going on? Yeah, there is. And you can see Souls and Hits in here actually grappling with his own heart and seeing within himself his own capacity to do wrong. And, and him honestly saying, hey, listen, it's just a difference in situations. I could have been the executioner. Now that, who knows that's tough to get to that point in the middle of grievous evil. It's tough to get there, but it's really important. Sometimes you can hear people say things like this. They'll say, I'm a survivor. I'm a survivor. And I would ask you this question, will, will you call yourself a survivor? Now, you need to be careful in answering that question. All right? If you've been at the project long enough, you know that there's trick questions that Peter asks all the time. And this is one of them, but I'm just going to let you in on the secret. Do you actually want to be identified by your wounds? Is that the best that you can hope for? I mean, there was a really big thing uh, not that long ago. Uh, 
We had people saying that they were a, um, a sexual abuse survivor. Now, I, I get that. I understand that. And I think that's probably a stepping stone. But is that, I guess I'm just asking, is that where we want to end? Do we, do we actually want to end by making identity statements about the fact that I'm a survivor and that identifies who I am? Or is there more? <laughs> is there a way to wrestle with evil and trouble in such a way that you become more human? Because who knows that when people do brutal things to you that it dehumanises you, doesn't it? It dehumanises you. And if you elect to complete the destruction, as Powerlison says, you get further dehumanised, don't you? Is it, does anyone know what I'm talking about? You're, you're a bit quiet today. I'm not rousing on you, right? This is deep, isn't it? Will you be someone that completes destruction and gets further dehumanised or is there a way to be more human? How will you be restored? And I want to suggest to you this morning that anyone who thinks that the Bible is outdated and is not relevant is probably outdated and irrelevant. (laughs) I shouldn't say that. It's a bit rude. Because it speaks to this stuff, right? I mean, seriously, like some people are just go, wow, PTSD, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, look it up in a concordance, it's not in the Bible. It's just like, are you serious? Like the kind of stuff that actually happened in the scriptures, like that it wouldn't actually be there and the Bible wouldn't actually speak to that stuff? I don't think so. I don't, I don't think you're right. It's like, I just encourage you, don't be too quick. You know, there's some barbaric stuff that happens in the Bible. You know, of course the scriptures are going to speak to some of that stuff. Listen to this, um, I'm just going to put it on the screen here, this particularly um, piercing kind of description of uh, Israel's experience of grievous evil in Psalm 129. And just picture it. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, let Israel now say, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. Listen to this. The plowers ploughed upon my back. They made long their furrows. When you get an ox with a plough on it, it's like lie down and I'm going to plough right up your back with that thing and I'm going to cut deep furrows into your back. God understands this stuff. He knows this stuff. And some of you maybe even sitting here today would just say, yeah, that's what it feels like to me. It feels like someone's got an ox and a plough and they plough deep furrows right up my back and they're still open. And I've just got a huge heart for you. you know. And I think God does and I think a lot of people here do. And we're not wanting to fix that kind of stuff quickly. And some of you go, well, how do you fix it? And I just go, well, it's, you know, I don't want to dishonour what's going on for you. You know? Because it takes me back to what we were talking about with Souls and Hits and like there is a grappling with evil and darkness that needs to happen that isn't about me coming up with a five-point plan about how to fix what's going on for you. Here's some of my thoughts, if you, if you can see that. I wanted to just, I couldn't get a graphic quickly that would actually do this, but I wanted to just kind of, if you picture these things around the outside being items in a bucket (laughs) and the bucket is the wrestle that you need to have these are some of the things that I think are in the bucket that you've just got to find a way to wrestle with without blowing out so the top one there is you you just got your suffering it's got genuine deep pain and struggle like that's in the bucket and go down uh, in a clockwise direction you've got uh, your sin so you you're not a perfect person either. I mean, that's what Salzenhitzen was talking about before and your reactions kind of come out of that a lot of the time. So there is a genuine sense in which one of the things you've got to grapple with is your own personal need for mercy. And then you get down the bottom there and you can see that there's a genuine need for justice. It's like that was wrong. And I would, I would man, if you need someone to say it with you, come and tell me your story at the end and I'll say with you that that was wrong and it was evil and it shouldn't have happened. But that's a reality in there too, is it's not just your sin. You know, you might go, my sin's a minor one. And I would say, yeah, it probably is. Probably is. But you've got their sin, the need for justice. 
You know, you've got some continuing evil that's kind of flowing out of that in terms of your experience of it. And you've got this notion there of the, of the need to somehow find a way to actually turn this thing for good. Like that's, that's a Molotov cocktail, isn't it? You know, like that is just a flammable mix, you know, and you're sitting there and you pro- some of you are probably going, yeah, I could throw a few more things in that wrestle bucket. And yeah, you probably could. You probably could. And so my question for you is, how are you going to do it? If these are the kind of things that you need to wrestle with, if these are the things thrown into a bowl that you've got to wrestle with, how are you going to do it? Because they're a deadly cocktail. There's lots of traps for young players, isn't there? I want to suggest to you this morning that um, you need help to do it. In fact, you, you are not going to be able to do the wrestle with that stuff on your own. You just, you just, you won't be able to do it. And I actually think you need, you need better than just having people around you that are going to help you with that. And I think there's even better help for you out there than looking up to people like the Morecams who have done a good job. Because I think everyone who's handled evil and grappled with evil in a way that they've been able to transform it into good points to Jesus who nailed it. <laughs> like he absolutely nailed it. And so what, what would you be wanting to do with someone who absolutely nailed being able to handle the darkest of all evil, the evil that was even darker than anything that you've experienced? I mean, if there's a question about who doesn't understand who, you don't understand the evil that Jesus went through. It's not that he doesn't understand you, it's that you don't, understand him back to Powlison again Jesus' story shows how incalculable wrong is transmuted into unfathomable good and you could just chill on that one for a while he was not above it all he entered into our grievous plight a man of sorrows intimately acquainted with grief enters into the hard places and comes under the afflictions Jesus himself has never gotten over his experience of evil do you hear that? He's never gotten over it. He never got over it. It gives shape to his love, his courage and his purposefulness. Jesus' friends recognised him when he invited them to see my hands and my feet. Have you ever noticed that? He still had the scars after he was raised from the dead, after he was crucified on the cross. They saw the marks of the nails. But Jesus was not deformed by what he suffered. He did not explode with darkness when he was trapped by darkness. Jesus was not defined by pain, but he does not forget what it is like. He did not return evil for evil, but he is merciful to those who do. He gets us. Isn't that good news? That's what you need. That's actually what you need. You know, there's this beautiful scripture in Psalm 85.10 which says this, steadfast love and faithfulness meet righteousness and peace, kiss each other. And you know where, yeah, another word for righteousness there is justice. It's like, how, how do you do, like when you grievous evil has happened to you, how do you do love, faithfulness and justice at the same time? Well, do you know what? It, it, it happened on the cross. Jesus in his body is the meeting place of the most brutal evil of the world. There's mercy there for sinners. There's compassion there for sufferers. He just does it all, doesn't he? And it's not as if, and I don't for a second want you to think, oh, Peter's just saying we just have to believe that and then we'll be okay. Peter's not saying that at all. Peter's saying that you could learn a lot from him. And you could get a lot of help from him in walking through evil because he gets you. You know, Jesus was the one that got hit with a fridge-sized rock, didn't he? Didn't he? You know, Powlison quoted there, but, you know, Jesus is still marked and he's marked with glorious marks, isn't he? Uh, look at my hands and my feet. I mean, even in Revelation, the vision that John has about uh, end times, 
Yeah, and be- between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. You see that? It still matters. I mean, it matters massively theologically, but it still matters. You, you don't have to forget it. God would actually have your brutal evil be turned into a trophy. Not, not be forgotten and treated like it didn't matter anymore. Ephesians 2, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us with him, up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God wants to put you in his pearl room. Castle watches. You with me? He wants to put you in his pearl room. And he wants to put you in his pearl room with all the marks on you of what happened to you. Because he's at work and he wants to be at work transforming all that stuff. Now, I don't know. I I mean, there's not going to be any sadness or sorrow in heaven. But there might be a lot of cheering for a lot of you. Because you've been through some really deep, difficult stuff. And I think there'll be a lot of cheering. (laughs) Because you might still have the marks on you, but they won't bring you sadness. They'll just bring you great joy because you'll see how God has been so great for you and so helpful to you. Almost everyone knows Psalm 23. Psalm 23 in the middle there says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Not because there is an evil and not because it isn't a shadow of death, but because you're with me. Yeah, And I'm just saying, this is the kind of person that you want to have with you. He did it better than Sols and Hitson. He did it better than the Morecams. And he wants to help you. I'm going to post online uh, Powerlison's article. You can have a read. Uh, I probably don't want to... Um, it's just going to go into the five or six steps that he suggests uh, about how to start working through things Uh, you can read that in the article let me just zip through them really quick without explaining them he suggests you you need to ask for help you need to identify what happened call it evil you need to look at where you've reacted the places you've gotten stuck how you react in dark ways and the negative consequences of reactions and how god comforts you and helps you in the midst of your affliction and the details but I've just done great injustice to uh, Powerlison's ex- explanation of it. So I'd just encourage you to look up the article and have a read because he goes into detail about what that looks like because um, I just don't in any way want to um, minimise how difficult each of those steps might be and uh, I'm not even saying that those are linear steps, that you do one after the other and then you'll be okay. You'll, sometimes you might, um, but they're, they're just pieces that you need in the puzzle to grapple with uh, trouble that's um that's it so uh i'll just give you 30 seconds i'll just retool up here with my uh, ipad if you want to ask a question you can uh, text it through to that number and we'll just have uh five or ten minutes of uh, questions and see how we go take a breath too Okay, you ready to go? We'll just do, um, we'll do a few of these questions, some really good questions. I feel like I'm going to give a 20 cent answer to a $2 million question, um, which is all I can really do. So uh, if you'd like to talk some more with me about these, I'd love to, or with someone else. Um, but um, uh, we're just constrained by, uh, by time and where we're at. First one uh, is, why does God allow abhorrent things to happen to us? I know he doesn't make it happen to you. Uh, why does he allow it? Because it does become more than you can bear. Uh, I, I think there's a mystery in evil and the way that whole thing kind of works. Uh, I kind of go with, I think Tim Keller's got a really good way of putting it. And he just makes the comment that because of the cross and Jesus entering into evil and becoming a victim of it, he says the one thing that you can't say about God 
when you ask the question about why does he allow it to happen to us, you can't say he doesn't love you. Like Jesus settles that, right? Like that he would enter our world and actually take on sin and die a guilty person, not through his own guilt, but in a sense guilty because other, people had, other people's sins were put on him and be punished for that. Uh, you can't say he doesn't love you. So your next question is, well, why does he do it? <laughs> why doesn't he stop it? And do you know, I'll just tell you where I go. This is where I go. I just go, well, everything that I know about God tells me he's not a psycho and that he's got good reasons for doing things. So I don't know, but I don't think he's a psycho. <laughs> so I'm going to trust him to have a good reason for whatever it is that happened and that it'll make sense one day. But I'm not going to go to the point of saying, I don't think you love me because this stuff happened to me and you didn't stop it because that stuff happened to his son worse than anyone in this room and he didn't stop that. True? So I'm, just, I'm kind of going to sit there. Is that a difficult place to be in? Yeah, it's a difficult place to be in. It's an unanswered place. In reality, that's what I'm encouraging you to do with the whole of this morning is leave destruction, the destructive side of the evil that someone has done to you, leave it unfinished. That's what this is about. <laughs> and, and I think grappling with that whole piece about why doesn't God stop it is an unfinished piece. And we just don't know. Um, when terribly wronged, how do I contain my desire for revenge? Yeah. That's a good question, all right? And that's a, that's a life-lived question, isn't it? Um, that's, that's, a, that's several conversations. Huh? I mean, if you, look, if you look at the psalmist, the psalmist laments um, to God and just talks to God all the time and gets really angry about stuff. And sometimes the psalmist says some things that we're just going to go, ooh, let's just go on a bit over... Over the top, there's a type of psalm called the imprecatory psalms. Has anyone heard of those? Which is kind of like, just get them. Just get them. I don't care what you do to them. Actually, I do care what you do with them. What you do to them. Here's a whole bunch of things I'd like you to do with them. Um, and, and you'd kind of go, well, that's, you know, you're getting right into it at that point. But I think the great comfort at that point is, uh, is a lament, is a, is a speaking to God. And it's putting yourself before God and being open with God in a way that he can... Um, reshape you. you know, I don't think that um, ignoring your desire for revenge uh, is, is going to help it go away. Um, when I was growing up, I had a lot of people talking about needing to forgive other people, but I didn't actually hear very many people quoting the scripture in Corinthians there that actually uh, says, where God says, I will avenge, I will repay. Um, and the problem with talking about forgiveness and not talking about the justice of God at the same time is uh, the person who's really hurting is just going, but they're going to get away with it. Yeah. You know? But that is not true. Like There is nowhere in the scriptures that says that evil people will get away with what they do. My parents used to say to me and speak me all the time and just use that verse in the Old Testament that said, be sure your sins will find you out. You know? But they will. Everyone's sins are going to find everyone out. They just will. Um, and so, uh, I mean, and I don't, I don't mean to be harsh toward this person, whoever it is that asked it, but I would ask probably this question, do you think that you'd be better at it than him? Because he's really good at justice. I mean, he, he is justice. Everything that's just and right and good flows out of who he is. So can you trust him to handle that? <laughs> now, that's... That's a hard question, all right? That, it's not like you just go, yeah, I can, and then it's all over, right? It's not over at that point. But can you trust him to handle squaring things up? Because he's the best one at it. I mean, we all know that if you're the one that's been directly hurt by something, you know, with my sons, it's never just payback when they get their brother back. And it's like that with all of us, isn't it, all right? You're all looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. It's always like, I just had another 5% on top, right? That's kind of, it's not quite GST, but it's about half of it, and it'll just put me in a sweet place. If I can just get an extra 5% payback, and then the other person goes, 
Yeah, I'm going to pay you back and get my cut as well, you know, and then it just keeps spiralling. I, I think um, I that's why you go to court and you have a judge that doesn't have a conflict of interest. That's why you have a jury that doesn't have a conflict of interest because you're a better chance of actually getting justice if the person who's been hurt is not the one handing out the justice. Um, Uh, how do I start to see clearly when blinded by deep pain? I don't really know. I don't, I don't really know. Um, uh, deep pain is very, very disorienting. And uh, um, I don't... I don't uh, I'll give you two answers. I, I get very disoriented by deep pain. And uh, if you came up to me, like if, I, I don't know what answer that someone could give to me in the middle of deep pain that would help me. And, and I'll just tell you, one of the things that has just occurred to me about this, for me personally, is uh, a verse out of uh, Isaiah, which says, in quietness and trust is your salvation. You know, and sometimes I think you get in the middle of deep pain, and it's just, it's like I don't, I, I can't do anything. And I kind of think sometimes with people in deep pain, it's like we need to go to them, we need to actually say, not here's some strategies to help you to get out of that, but we just need to say, you know what, you, know, you probably can't do any of those. But you could probably just be quiet, <laughs> maybe, or you could just sit still internally and, and trust in God and not do anything to get out of it. I mean, I think there are things that you can do. I think that you can talk with people about that sort of stuff. I, th I think language in particular, language and communication in general, but language in particular is a very, very powerful tool to unlock trouble that's actually going on inside of your heart. So if you can talk to someone who can help you to articulate and talk about the things that are actually going on for you, that can be a very, very powerful thing. Um, I mean, there's lots of things to say. You could slow your life down. I mean, there's lots of strategies. People talk about doing, you know, breathing exercises, which sometimes can kind of help you to slow down a little bit. But who knows, it, this thing can be pretty untouchable sometimes when you get right in the middle of it. And um, yeah, you, I just feel like you need, to get, you need to be saved. You need to be rescued. And so quietness and trust... It's a really good thing. Because um, that's what I think. I just go, uh, in searing pain, I just go, hey, I can do nothing. I'm really good at doing nothing. <laughs> right now. It's like, you know, sit in your uh, flotation device and wait for the chopper to airlift you. You know, I think that's what Nazora is, uh, in quietness and trust is your salvation. Um, I'll finish with this one I think there's a couple more there if you want to come and have a chat with me about it you can uh, it's one thing to work through past hurts what can you do when the hurt is ongoing and at the hands of someone you can't escape from that's a, that's a really good question kind of in a nutshell is I think we just need a really robust understanding of what, what love is um, and just get away from the whole idea that love's a doormat and people can, people can do to you whatever they want. I think it's, uh, it's not loving to anyone to let them continue to sin against you. All right. So if you're in a situation and someone's sinning against you and they're actively hurting you and they're doing stuff that's hurting you, um, I think, I think you need help to stop that or you need someone to come in and to help you to stop that. Uh, you need people to come in and to, to kind of help you to get out of that. Um, I don't think you should be in there. But then there's uh, other examples of uh, hurt continuing because you're staying in a particular context and maybe you see people that kind of open up the wounds again. So maybe it's not so much an active um, 
thing that someone else is doing to you to, to continue kind of hurting you and traumatising you, but maybe it's just the reality of what actually happened to you and you see people and uh, you smell things that remind you of the thing that happened to you or you um, go places and it reminds you of those things. Um, I, I think you need really wise, in both of these cases, I think you need really wise counsellors, lowercase c, because uh, first responders generally are not people that you pay to help you. Your first responders are the people who are around you. You just see wise people around you to help you with that. You might enlist some, some paid help at some point, but you need wise first responders around you that can actually help you to process that and just kind of work through the pain of that. It may be that you um, are in a situation and, and the, the trauma and the, the bad thing that happened is done and gone and it's not happening anymore, but it's just too much for you to bear. Uh, I think that's okay to put your hand up and just say, oh, I, just, I can't carry this. I can't bear this. Maybe, maybe you just need to move out of that situation and, uh, and go and be somewhere else and be away from it. And I don't think there's no shame in saying I can't carry this. Um, that may be what needs to happen. But at the same time, I, I, I would just caution you a little bit because there's a lot of escapists out there you know what I'm talking about? That when something bad happens, we just want to, want to run away from it. So I just caution you with uh, not being too quick to do that because God actually does help people really strongly. And it's kind of like if you just run from stuff all the time, it gets pretty hard to turn into a trophy at that point because <laughs> you just keep running from it. Um, at some point, you, have to kinda, you need to stop and you need to face up to stuff that's going on and and have God kind of help you to grapple with it. I'm going to call it at that point. Uh, I hope there's been something there that's uh, been uh, helpful for you. If you'd like to, um, to talk or uh, to have someone pray with you and help you, uh, I'd, love to, uh, I'd love to help you out. We are uh, people who are hurt and hurt others. And uh, we live uh, in a world where God himself has come down to set things right and to rehumanise people. So uh, let's, uh, let's get in on that. I trust you have a good day.